Uh, before we begin, I just wanted to quickly uh, let you know, if you're, if you're new to Forestview and you've kind of wanted to know a little bit more about what we are, who we are, what we believe, um, we are having something called Discover Forestview that's happening next week at 9 a.m. So it'll be at the same time as this service. Uh, be led by Nancy, uh, who's our Director of Pastoral Care. And it's a way of getting a little bit deeper into the community to understand uh, the, the basic uh, ideas that we have been holding to as a, as a church for a long time, the, the history of the church, and any of the little details that you might have questions about. So please come out next uh, Sunday at 9 a.m. Uh, you can come to the 11 a.m. service afterwards. So it'll be like a little bit like a, a Sunday school before the service, so you don't have to miss the entire service. And that'll be part one, and we'll do another part following that. So that's next Sunday at 9 a.m. Thank you. All right, let's, I want to begin with a picture here. Let's see if you just... Yeah. Do you recognize that? What is that? That's a... It's a Boy Scout. Have any, any of you been a, a Boy Scout? Yeah, a couple. How about Girl Scouts? Like, yeah, girls, Girl Guides, Girl Guides. What's the motto of the Boy Scouts and the Girl Guides? Be prepared. I have a picture here. Here's a, a Girl Guide. She's all ready. She's got her brownie beret or, or beanie, her badges. She's got her cookies in her hand. Are you going to be prepared? If you look at the next uh, slide, again, you have this, this picture of uh, the classic Boy Scout, right there. Always be prepared. What I thought was really interesting, when you, when you look into the, the Scout motto of being prepared, there's a, an acronym that kind of came out of it, an acrostic that came out of it, and I, and I thought it was pretty uh, interesting, actually, kind of funny, because uh, we always make acrostics out of everything, right? But this is, this is an old one. Bravery. Enterprise. Purpose. Resolution, endurance, partnership, assurance, reformation, enthusiasm, and devolution. I was always like, that last one's like, what's that last one seems a little bit interesting, doesn't it? What I thought was important about the idea of the, of the Boy Scouts, uh, the Boy Scouts were, and the girl guys were always there to, they, they should be ready. So if something goes wrong, they're ready to give you a bandage. They're ready, they're, they're in the, the woods and they're trapped. They're going to figure out a way to create fire out of like a stick, right? That's the, the whole point of the Boy Scouts is being prepared for any eventuality. Well, the scriptures actually call us as Christians also to follow this model, we are also told to be prepared. But what we're prepared to do is something a little bit different. What we're prepared to do is to give an answer or to tell our story. We see this in 1 Peter and verse 315. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Be prepared. To give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Be prepared to give an answer. Be prepared to tell your story of hope. So as we continue this series of telling your story of, of this is my story, I want to get into this a little bit and recognize that we are, each and every one of us, called to be prepared to share. Now, some of you will probably think, like, wait a second, you already went through the gifts, Zero. And one of the gifts, there's a person who's gifted, and they're called the evangelist. And so I'm going to leave that to the evangelist. Why are they called the evangelist otherwise? Do they have this gift of evangelism? 
Now again, what I want to point out is it also talks about the gift of faith. Every single Christian is called a faith, even though there's some people who are especially gifted in faith. And so, yes, even though there are evangelists, we are each called to share our story. And a gifted evangelist, what they're, do, what they're supposed to do is a little bit different. They have this bold proclamation. They're the ones who are going to go out and share the gospel when you're like in line at the Blue Jays game or something like that. You're like, whoa, right? That's, that's the, the bold evangelist. However, each of us are also to be prepared. We might not be that bold proclaiming, going forth, and, and just have that boldness to share wherever we go. But you are required to be prepared and ready for when someone asks you why you believe in Jesus. Always be prepared. Have you ever been caught unprepared? I just thought, I want to share a little bit of a story myself. I'm not proud of it, actually. Probably four or five years ago, and I was waiting outside of my kid's kindergarten class, and someone came up to me and said, oh, I was talking about your wife, and I heard that you're a pastor. This was, I was in Toronto. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, so where's your church? I'm like, oh, it's downtown. And I kind of give her a spot, and she's like, uh, she started asking me questions a little bit, and I was like, well, it's at 9 a.m. It's really early. It's probably too early for you. And, and I remember my whole aura, my whole demeanor was one of kind of trying not to push my faith on her. I was more worried about offending her. So I, I, I was basically just kind of putting her off. And I realized that when I went home and I was sitting there and I was like, what did I just do? Like, I'm a pastor and I did not at all invite this woman to come to church when she's asking me about my church actively. I was thinking, how did this happen? And I realized part of it was there's a part of me that is probably like a lot of you, a little bit allergic or a little bit fearful of being seen as that Christian who's trying to push their faith on people. And I, and I realized some of this probably went back to my Bible college experience, my first year of Bible college. I remember going out in London, Ontario with a group of people and we were going to do surveys for people and we're on the street and we're doing surveys about like their faith and things. And I remember going through the survey with one, one man and then at the very end it was like, you basically, you drop the gospel on him, right? And I, I started doing that and he was like, are you serious? This whole thing has been a ruse. You're just doing this to do this? And then he just walked away really angrily. And I remember that, like, being like, it kind of was. Right? That's, what the, that's how this whole thing was set up. Was, so at the very end, you kind of drop a gospel on a random stranger. And I, and I always had that in my heart. of Like, oh, that, that wasn't a good experience. And so when this person's asking me about my, my church, I was very reticent to be the person pushing it. Well, luckily, the next day I went and I, and I found her. I was like, by the way, like, if you want to come to church, and I kind of invited her, and she was, yes, I do. And then she came to church, and I was like, I could have easily missed that, right? That was, a, that was just a, that was a, right across the plate. I didn't even swing. <laughs> and I realized that part of it is that we as Christians can be fearful. What's interesting, though, is this verse begins with a really important point, that is that we are supposed to only fear God. Right? It says, in your hearts, revere Christ. That word is actually phobos, like this, this, this reverence or this fear. Like I should be fearing God. I should be wondering what Jesus is thinking about what I'm doing rather than worrying about this other person, right? Like how, how I might offend them. Or Now, of course, we don't want to be offensive. We're going to see this at the end. But I was so kind of worried about our perception as a Christian that I didn't even share the faith as I'm called to. I wasn't prepared to give an answer. 
if we're afraid to say his name, what is really going on in the state of our heart? And so it says, be prepared to give an answer. And this word, an answer, I don't think that's what it means like you have to have the right answer in a certain sense. The word is actually apologia. Some people might say an apology, which is usually what we're doing. I'm sorry for being a Christian. That's not what this means. It says, be prepared to give an apology. This is a, you could answer actually defense, and it was actually a legal term. When you went to court, you would give an apology. Prepare to give an answer. Prepare to give a defense. And of course, we have the word apologetics that comes out of this, right? Pretty big Christian word. Um, uh, probably beginning, one of the most important uh, documents of apologetics would be the five ways of Thomas Aquinas, which is basically the answer, why do you believe there is a God? And he would give you these five answers. Let's, let's go through them really quickly. I want to kind of give some of these five proofs for God's existence from Thomas Aquinas. The first one was that there is motion in the universe. This is coming straight from Aristotle. The idea is that energy cannot be created or destroyed. There, there had to be some kind of starting point to, to the movement. We, everything's always in motion. There has to be some type of what Aristotle would call an unmoved mover. And so you have a, a pagan argument for the existence of God. The second one is what we call the argument from causation, that there has to be some type of uncaused cause. Every effect has a cause, but somewhere there has to be something that was just kind of causing itself. The third one is really similar to it. You can all call these forms of the cosmological argument. This is what we call the argument from contingency. A contingent being is something whose being depends upon something else. And the argument is that the entire universe can't be entirely contingent because that would mean that, some, that there would be nothing that was necessary. There's nothing that kind of existed in and of itself. There must be some type of necessary being. This is the argument for God's existence. Number four, perfection. If you see things in the, in the world, there must be kind of like an extreme example of it. Plato was one of the first ones to put this out. He said, if there's such thing as, if you see goodness, you see a good hamburger, you have a good wife, you have a good time, there must be some type of goodness behind all of that that is the good. The fifth one was the argument from intelligent design. This is the argument that... Uh, I was saying this to my kids the other day. If you came down in the basement and you saw an amazing Lego castle all built up, you wouldn't be like, I wonder how this accidentally randomly came to be. You'd think like, who made this? And that's an argument from design or often called uh, the teleological argument. Again, there's different versions of this. There's a version uh, on the next slide here, which is um, an idea called the fine-tuning argument, which is basically that this universe, it looks like it's been fine-tuned to produce life. Like it's designed. If gravity was a little bit stronger or a little less strong, there would be no life as we know it. If the earth was a little bit further away from the sun, or like there's so many variables that if, they didn't, if it didn't exist exactly as it is, there would be no life. So this is the idea that the universe has been fine-tuned to create life. Other arguments for God's existence are the moral argument. Basically, there would be no such thing as evil or good if there wasn't a God. How can you say Hitler was evil if there is no good God to compare him by? This is a, made very strongly in the, by uh, C.S. Lewis. Another argument is rational argument. The idea here is that you would not be able to trust your reason if there wasn't a God. If all there is is random chaos and atoms bouncing around in the universe, how do you know that your mind is giving you a picture of reality since it's just random atoms assembled? 
And if it is, you have to say to yourself, well, maybe it's not giving me reality. And then what C.S. Lewis would say is that you're proving that there's no such thing as proofs, which you can't do because you're using the very apparatus to devalue the apparatus. Another argument would often be the ontological argument. I don't even want to get into that. That's what I did my PhD on it. It, it takes too much time and it's too controversial. The idea that, that God is that which nothing greater can be conceived. Basically that there is, that you could not doubt that God exists. It's impossible to doubt that. Another one is the explanatory power. This is the idea that there's a lot of things you can't prove in life. This is what Aristotle would say. You can't prove that you exist. You can't prove that other people exist. You can't prove that your mind gives you true uh, glimpses of reality. None of these things you can prove. You can just assume them. Okay, well, what makes the best sense of that world? Well, the idea is that a, a creator, God, a designer, would make sense of how my mind relates to reality and these type of things. This is called explanatory power. Now, what I think is really interesting about Aquinas was he did not believe that necessarily his arguments would prove to everyone that God existed. He recognized that some people wouldn't accept them. And so what he said is, these are really good pieces of evidence that we can give to people and that I, I use myself, but some, this is not going to prove it to everyone. However, if someone brings an argument against God, I will demolish it. Aquinas probably could. He's a smart guy. It says that in Colossians, to demolish every argument. And so this is the idea that any argument that comes against you or Christianity, he believes that can be destroyed. What about the problem of evil? If you talk to anyone who has a sincere intellectual problem with Christian faith, it often begins with the problem of evil, right? That they've seen evil in this world, that they cannot understand how it could exist and there be a good God. And I don't want to get too deep into this, but that's a, that's a legitimate difficulty. I think it's the, the biggest problem facing Christians today. And I think Platinga probably helped solve the logical problem. He basically said, if there's such thing as free will, then that allows for there to be evil and a good God at the same time. The question then becomes, okay, well, maybe it's logically possible, but there's just too much evil. And that's where you have to kind of say, how much evil is too much evil? How can I see what good is coming out of this? Is, there, is it not a better universe because there is a such thing as free will, which necessitates the possibility of evil? You have all these big questions coming across, right? And these are often really intellectual questions. And these are just the theistic questions. Never mind, okay, Muslims would believe all this stuff. So then what, why Jesus? And you give your arguments for the resurrection and why I believe in the resurrection. There's, there's a lot of answering to be done for a lot of these questions that come your way. Now, apologetics is getting a, a lot of flack these days. The idea is it's like, this doesn't work. It's too intellectual. Maybe that it doesn't, that, 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 that it actually um, isn't necessary to give any type of evidence. That's not what the Bible's saying. What it's saying is kind of give uh, a personal experiential example. I just want to throw out there, I personally like apologetics. And when I hear people say that no one comes to faith through apologetics, it doesn't work anymore. I have to say, I think sometimes that you're discounting a lot of people. There's a lot of people that have come to Christ asking like legitimate intellectual questions they want answers to, finding some, and then coming to know Jesus. So I don't want to dismiss apologetics and throw it to the side. Like some, some people might say, ah, it's not even useful at all. On the other hand, we do have to wonder sometimes if this is even the question some people are asking. 
Are they asking you, I want logical proofs for God's existence? Are they coming to you with a little bit more like, this world is hopeless? I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why do you believe in a God? And if you go through all these arguments, here's my belief, that might not, for that person, be the answers that they're looking for. And so we have to be careful to dis- not to dismiss apologetics, but also not to make this verse only about that. Because if you look at what it says, it says, it's to everyone who asks you. Who are you to be prepared to give an answer to? The people who ask you. Who asks you? Now, some of you might be in the university context, and you're sitting down with neo-atheists who love Dawkins and Sam Harris, these guys, and they're just hammering you with the intellectual problems that we've just been talking about. And you might be one of those people that therefore need to be ready with those answers. But when I think of this question, and I think about how to share your faith and, and answer the question, I think, sometimes I think about my grandma. And I'm thinking, like, does my grandma have to be ready to debate Richard Dawkins? Like, if Richard Dawkins showed up, she's like, oh, I'm ready for you. I got my five point. My grandma didn't do a university degree. This isn't her thing. So to be ready to give an answer, does that mean that she has to be the most prepared individual for every single possible intellectual problem? I don't think so. And, and I, what's interesting is Aquinas didn't believe that either. Aquinas said the most logical thing to, to believe is that you've had experience of God. If you've, if you've actually experienced God, it's only logical to say, I believe in God. And so your answer might be, listen, I know there's a God because I've experienced him. And then you can share from your experience. This isn't to dismiss all the other arguments. If someone comes in and they need that type of question, you might lead them on and go, hey, why don't you go talk to this person? They've thought through all this. They're, they're into this. But it doesn't mean that every single person has to know every single possible permutation of every argument against God's existence and have that answer ready to go. I think sometimes that's what we think, like, oh, I'm not smart enough to... God's not asking you to know every single possible answer. What he's asking you is to be prepared to give an answer for your hope. Why do you trust in Jesus? This is everyone who asks you. So who are the people who are going to ask you questions? They're probably the people who are in your life probably going to be your neighbor, your coworker, might be a person that you walk down the street and you start talking with them on the street. These are, these are the people, you, you should be ready to give an account of why you trust in God. One of the things that really sticks out to me, first of all, from this, is that we should be probably having people ask us questions about our faith. Michael Frost calls this, you should be, he says that you should be living questionable lives. It sounds weird at first. Like, wow, that's questionable. But you should be living questionable lives. You should be living in such a way that someone's going to come to you like, what? why? We're going to talk about that more next week. We're going to talk about living your story and, the, and get, really get into what does it mean to live a life that's questionable? Why would people come to you and start asking you these questions? But think about that. Are you living that life that makes people come to you and ask questions? Do you get questions about your faith? 
Your job to, to do evangelism is not to go out and blast everyone all the time. It's actually to be ready for those inevitable moments when God leads someone into your life and they look at you in the eye and they ask you sincerely, hey, like, I, I, don't, I don't get that. Like, what does this mean? Now, what I find really interesting nowadays is that there's a lot of people who don't even understand Christianity at all. They don't even know the, the story. And so they're kind, of, they're kind of just actually curious. But we're still so defensive, worried that everyone's trying to attack us. And you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're, we're not actually getting ready for sharing when it comes our way. Why do you have this hope? Give the reason for the hope that you have. The reason is the logos. So does this mean that you need to give a logical reason for everything? I, I do believe that logical reasoning is a good thing. And it is a necessary thing. I got to say, I wouldn't remain a Christian if I didn't search logically into the faith. Like C.S. Lewis, Francis Schaeffer, these are guys that really helped me uh, remain a Christian when I went through my my period of of struggling. So I think it's a useful thing. But when we're talking about giving the reason for the hope that you have, is everyone coming at you with logical questions? Or do you have people coming at you with what I would call more like existential questions? Experiential questions? Like really difficult ones, like why did God take my uncle? That's going to be a difficult question to give an answer for the hope that you have. But that's the type of stuff that's going to come your way. And how do you answer that? I mean, there's no right answer completely. I think part of it is actually to have the Holy Spirit within you and be sensitive to that, right? Be open for when the question comes, be ready for it. And then when it comes your way, be ready to let the Spirit help move you in that moment. One of the things I often always say to someone is like, God hates death. He hates evil. I believe that he's with you and and crying with you. He wants to comfort you. But he's not happy about this set of circumstances. Are you getting experiential questions, logical questions? This is is important because what a lot of people are listening for is like, how have you experienced God? What is it about your life that has allowed you to trust in a God despite seeing all this evil around? And I hope part of it is what we talked about last week. You have a story. There's there's something in your heart and your life where you've had this experience of God. You've had your questions answered. And you're ready and prepared to share. This is what we might call my life apologetics is telling your own personal story. Being there to to give some hope. We live in an era of cynicism and despair. This is a reality. And if we're living a life where we kind of have a hope, where we're living in a way that's kind of positive and, and joyful, people are, gonna, people are going to ask you at some point, why are you so happy? Or how can you still keep going despite all the stuff that's happened to you? And there you are, ready to say, Jesus. It's Jesus. That's all. The only, the only way I could have got through this is because I know my God loves me. The only way I could overcome this, or, or even like say you've, you've gone through some things where you've had moral failings and things and you've kind of come out of it, the only way that I could 
continue to live with myself as knowing I'm forgiven. This is what it means to tell your story, to share your story. Because we cannot buy into this life of hopelessness. I hear it all the time. People like, uh, I have friends and people that would say, I'm not going to ever have children. There's no way I'm bringing children into this evil, despicable, hard world. You know what? It would make sense to me if I had no hope. But I have hope. I trust that there is a bright future. I believe that there is a God who does love and that by having brought children to the world that they can experience a life of joy and peace and faith and hope as well. But that's not the predominant way the world looks at things. So what is the reason that you have hope in Jesus? I think that's something you need to search in your own heart. Why do I hope in Jesus? And then maybe you can think about ways how you would present that to others so you'd be ready. Maybe there's some ways of having your story ready on your tongue and, and you know, like, here's the things that I would, would say in that question. How does Jesus help you look at the world in a way that, that you can have hope? What's your, your hope story? Do you notice that that's the thing that Peter is saying that you have that you can share with someone? Get ready to tell them about your hope. So first of all, you might ask yourself, are you hopeful? Are you hopeful? Because that is the heart of what it means to love Christ, is to have a hope that God is going to make all things right, all shall be well. but do this with gentleness and respect. This is, the, this is one of the reasons why, I think one of the reasons why I stepped back from that moment when I had that opportunity to share. Because so many Christians are not gentle or respectful when they share their faith. I remember being in Detroit when I was younger, a teenager, and uh, I was going to a concert. And at that, point, at that point, I had long hair. And I remember people with signs going, Repent, you're going to hell. And I remember them yelling, and I remember them coming right to me and saying, you are going to hell, what are you going to do? And I was like, you don't, you don't know me. Like, I'm a believer. You can't be a believer going to this concert with that hair. <laughs> Gentleness and respect. We're, we're, it's lacking so much. When, I, when I've gone to Dundas Square, and, and believe me, I, I do believe in... God calling prophets to do weird things. I mean, Isaiah walked around naked for a couple of years. He says, they do weird things. And so some people are called, I think, to be at Dennis Square and maybe hand out those pamphlets. I had an uncle who did it for a long time. So I'm not saying it's always wrong. I don't know if it's the most effective. But what I do know is not effective is screaming at people. That's not gentle or respectful. Calling them names. And this is why the world often doesn't like Christians, because we, we've done this, right? With reverence, with gentleness. Share your story. So when someone comes to you with their pain, you might just sit with them and hold them and comfort them. You might not even give an answer in the terms of, here, I'm going to fix this for you. It might be, yeah, let me cry with you. And at some point, they might say, how do you do it? And then you can say, I, I don't know, I just have God. God. 
So our job is to be prepared. That's what we're asked. So I want you to ask yourself, like, what type of questions is that you, you, you would usually get? Are you in, like, the logical circles? If you're in the scientific circles, you're going to get some of these logical questions. And so maybe you should read some books and kind of get some reasons why you would hold on to it. Are you in more, like, artistic circles? You're going to come with the more experiential side of things. What kind of questions is it that are going to come your way? And just make sure that you have it in your heart and, in your, and you're watching for it. When people come to you, don't miss those moments. You're going to have people come to you and ask you questions, and you should be ready to share. I remember when I, I was in Sarnia growing up, I, we'd have uh, tornado drills all the time. Anyone else, do you guys have tornado drills over here? No. So that, yeah, this was, this was a Sarnia thing. We had some tornadoes go through. So every year, we'd have a couple of drills where we'd do tornado drills. I had a friend who grew up uh, up north in campus casing, and he thought it was ridiculous. And he, but he, what I thought was ridiculous, he had bear drills <laughs> for a bear coming to the school type drill. I was like, what? That's... And so I started realizing is what you're prepared for, be prepared. Be prepared for the thing that's coming your way. So you should start to look at your life and see, hey, who, what kind of thing is coming my way? And what should I be prepared to share? And don't expect an immediate conversion. Some people have these, like, it happens. Awesome. But really, a lot of times, this idea is, it's playing the long game. I was coming home with uh, Steve James yesterday from the memorial for Peter Dickens, and uh, our, our drummer here. And he was just kind of, I heard the story before, but he reminded me, I was like, oh, yeah. Where he and his dad and the dad's friend would go out for, for breakfast years and they were both atheists, and they would just kind of slam on him. It was like double teaming, kind of teasing, and, and just prodding and probing. And he would always kind of give the answers as he could. And he would share his own experience of he knows that God lives with him. And it went on for a long, long time, like decades. And then one day he got a letter from his dad that said, you know what, I now acknowledge that everything I have is a gift from God. It's like, oh, like that, that took a long time. So we have to be careful not to turn this into like, oh, I missed my, my one chance. God is a God of second chances, many chances. God is a God who knows what he's doing. And you're just to, your job is just to give the answer. You're not to, to get the results. It's not your fault that someone doesn't reject Jesus unless you don't have gentleness and respect. I've heard people before, and I've seen this before, like, oh, they rejected Christ. I'm like, no, they rejected you because you're a jerk. Right? It's, it's true sometimes, isn't it? So recognize it's, it's the spirit that brings people to God or not to God. It's not on you. We are his instruments. But we're called to step up. Right? We're, we are prepared, I hope. We're, we are the Boy Scouts. We are the Girl Guides. We are those who follow Jesus who are ready, when asked, to say, yeah, I do have a hope in God. I know it doesn't make sense in this culture, but here it is. And lay it out and let it sit with them. Tell your hope story. Share your faith. Don't be scared. Be prepared to share about the God who you know is there and cares. When I think about sharing my my answer. 
It, it all comes down to the table in the end. It all comes down to the fact that I am a, a creature who is deeply sinful. And, and if anyone I know knows me, they'll know that. And they come to me like, hey, you say you, you believe in, in Jesus. And I'll say, yeah, and I know that I, it's nothing to do with how, who I am or what I do. It's all about what he did. That he took bread, he broke it, saying, this is my body. Like, I am giving my body up for you. And he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood poured out for you. That what he did forgave me of all my sin. And so when I look at this ugly world with all the ugly hoardness and the wretchedness of, of history and the human actions and war and hatred, all that stuff, I recognize I have hope because it's forgiven. It's washed away and it will disappear someday. So as you come to the table today, let's ask the Lord to give you opportunity this week that he would bring someone into your life that would ask you the question, why do you hope in Jesus? And I, my prayer is that you would be prepared to give an answer. It's because he forgave me. It's because I have a relationship with him. And I know that one day things will be made right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are your vessels and that you charge us to share, to be prepared to share. And so we ask that you would bring into our lives those with whom we can share your love. I ask that you give us gentleness and respect because sometimes it's really easy to get flustered and angry. Would you allow us to trust in you? And we pray, Lord God, that even today as we take the bread and we take the cup, that we are reminded of the power of your forgiveness, that you have given to us a gift that we do not deserve. And as we take that in, Lord God, may we be ready to share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen.